You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. San Francisco Mayor London Breed joins the Post to discuss her city's COVID-19 response and the recent attacks on Asian Americans in the Bay Area. Let's listen. Good afternoon. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for the Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live and welcome to our series Coronavirus, Leadership During Crisis. Our attention now turns out west to the West Coast as we welcome San Francisco Mayor London Breed. Mayor Breed, thanks for coming to Washington Post. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate you asking me to join you. So let's start at schools. As the opening slides showed, um, you've been going toe-to-toe with the schools there in San Francisco. There are 65,000 public school students who haven't been in classes since last March. Where does your reopening plan stand right now? Well, right now, there is, an agree- there is not an agreement in place between the school district and the union to reopen schools. We've heard about tentative plans uh, that have not been finalized. And so what we have tried to do from a city perspective is do everything we can to provide resources, to inspect the schools. We provided funding in the amount of $15 million to our public schools. I put a ballot measure on the ballot this past November to raise teacher salaries. And to be clear, in San Francisco, our public health experts have been amongst the most conservative in the country when it comes to making decisions around public health. And the fact that they are saying to us that schools can reopen uh, is the only reason why I would even push uh, to try and move forward in this process as quickly as possible. It has been very, very challenging. We have over 15,000 kids who are in schools, in private and parochial schools right now, at about 114 schools in San Francisco. We haven't seen any major outbreaks, and these schools have been open since October. So it is definitely not where I want it to be, but I am hopeful and still actively engaged with the school district and trying to make it a reality for our kids. I'm glad you brought up the private schools because there are 113 private and parochial schools that have 15,000 kids in them. They've reopened, as you said, no coronavirus outbreaks happening in those schools. So why is why are the public schools so resistant if the parochial schools can do it and the CDC guidelines are saying it's okay? Well, I, I think that there are some, um, you know, educators who have some genuine fears, of course. Um, They may have underlying health conditions themselves. They may have parents or family members they're caring for with underlying health conditions, and they may be concerned about, you know, their own personal health. And I think that the concerns are legitimate. Uh, But there also are other educators who are ready to go back in the classroom. But ultimately, it's up to the school district and the union to come up with an agreement Um, for returning to in-person education. And I think that we've been at a standstill and and that's really been uh, very unfortunate because our our kids are really suffering as a result of our inability to move faster. So um, how do you address the fear among educators and and their lack of trust um, that districts will do what's needed to keep them safe? And I'm asking that because I'm wondering, should teachers be vaccinated um, before schools reopen? Well, the fact is the CDC guidelines and our local very conservative public health professionals here in San Francisco who has led San Francisco through this crisis, um, they all say no. And they say that it is safely to return based on data, based on science, 
um, to in-person learning with certain guidelines. And so our Department of Public Health has been readily available for the public school system here to inspect the schools, to make sure the proper ventilation and the setup and, and what's necessary to implement as we reopen schools is in place. So it is safe to go back, but starting tomorrow, um, our teachers are eligible to be vaccinated. Uh, so what we really want is some um, assurances and an agreement in place that says, if this happens, then we will be back on this date. Um, but what we're hearing is that the agreement that is being worked out between the unions and the school district, once it goes into effect, the school district still believes they need at least five weeks to prepare to reopen. And, you know, that's what's really frustrating is things keep changing. Things are uncertain. Meanwhile, um, kids are still struggling and we're still at the same place we have been for almost going on a year now. Mm -hmm. Talk more about the expanded eligibility. I'm glad you brought that up because you anticipated my next question. Uh, how was that decision made? So the decision to add who gets vaccinated is all done by the state. And so what we do in San Francisco is we follow the state guidelines and we of course challenge the state guidelines to a certain extent. Um, but once we are at a point where we can reopen and add and, and depending on the number of vaccines, that are available, we're able to expand who has access. Uh, we're at close to 60% of San Franciscans that are 65 and older have already been vaccinated, at least with their first dose. So we're in a place where we can start to open it up uh, to educators, to police officers, to other emergency personnel. And so that's exactly what we're doing. It's a, it's a very cautious approach because we want to make sure we get people vaccinated. We especially want to get, if there are fears from our educators, we want to get them vaccinated and, and, and back in the classroom as quickly as possible. Uh, but we want to do so responsibly. Mm -hmm. um, I have a question, an audience question coming from California. Uh, Patrick Lee has this question. When will the 55-65 age group without medical issues get vaccinated? So it's my understanding that that age group is in the next age tier. Um, so right now we're moving from 1A to 1B, and that includes mostly emergency personnel. Um, and so we'll be lowering the age threshold when we get to a certain number of people that are both in 1A and 1B. I know it seems complicated, but <laughs> it's... Hopefully coming soon. And, and I want to be clear that all of this is contingent upon supply. Like last week, we had to shut down some of our major sites because we didn't have sufficient supply. Um, so the other thing that we're pushing for, too, is people who are maybe under the age of 65 who have underlying health conditions and who need to be vaccinated because of health reasons, we are pushing the state to move in that particular direction because we know there are some people who are very concerned about their, their health and, and wellness as a result of this virus, but may not be the age that's eligible. So there is a new administration. It's, uh, I think it's one month, a little more than one month in. Uh, have you noticed a change in your relationship with the federal government since January 20th? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, just communication has been different. Um, the desire to support and help cities, the outreach, everything that's been happening, the uh, stimulus plan, small business support, climate change, everything that you can think of, all the things that are important to San Franciscans, this administration has hit the ground running and it is having a direct impact 
of things that we can expect from not only a financial perspective, but also from a change in policy. And it just feels like a new day. It feels incredible. We just need to get over this last hump of this virus, hopefully, and get our city and our economies open again. So one of the things uh, in the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill um, is uh, aid to states and localities. San Francisco is expected to hit a bu budget deficit of, and correct me if I'm wrong, Madam Mayor, $653 million this year. How important is it that the aid to states and localities make it into and pass uh, that $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill? Well, it is incredibly important to San Francisco. We have been so fortunate that we closed a $1.5 billion budget deficit last year without laying off one city employee. And as we try to close off the deficit for this year, um, the $600 million that we anticipate if this bill passes will help us address just that. So I am hopeful um, that that will occur because uh, it will make sure that we don't have to make some hard choices um, which could include layoffs if we don't receive that stimulus money. So I'm looking forward to it. My fingers are crossed and I'm hopeful uh, because the city has been suffering financially, not just our city workforce, but the economy uh, in San Francisco in general with over 300,000 San Franciscans who've had to file for unemployment, businesses that have had to close in our city permanently. Uh, we got to get our economy back. It's going to take some time. And this stimulus money uh, is just the boost that we need. So my fingers are crossed that it gets passed. And we are truly grateful to Speaker Pelosi for her advocacy and work in pushing this through. So, Mayor Breed, the previous president and still some current Republican members of Congress are balking at the price tag of the COVID relief bill, but also about the aid to states and localities by saying, well, why should we, meaning the federal government, bail out mismanaged blue states. What's your response to that argument? My response is it's it's really sad that they are just taking a, a blanket approach and calling cities and governments mismanaged. I mean, the fact is, in many instances, the, the previous administration, um, they basically really left cities hanging in, in a lot of ways. We had in San Francisco to build uh, a testing uh, uh, sites, uh, the capacity to test San Franciscans from scratch with no support, with no uh, hardly resources, especially in the beginning, uh, we were left on our own. And I think that, you know, when you think about what's happened to our economy, especially in major cities like San Francisco, which basically is responsible for the boatload of federal uh, taxes that go into uh, uh, this economy, you know, we got to get our cities back on track. It's important to provide those resources. People have lost their jobs, their businesses, their livelihood. Um, and, and we're seeing it like never before. And, and it's really unfortunate that they've taken that approach. But the fact is, they have a responsibility to help and support cities. Uh, otherwise, if we leave our cities in ruin, then the whole system, the whole government, the whole country fails. Uh, so this is the time for the investments to happen and the change to happen. Now, as you demonstrated earlier, you are very excited about the new administration, the current administration. But I'm wondering, has the Biden administration's messaging and guidance been clear and consistent as it needs to be when it comes to schools and reopening in, in this pandemic? 
Well, I think that it's been clear that they want schools to reopen. I think that, you know, it's a lot more complicated uh, because the whole uh, process of reopening schools and, and the uh, way that schools are governed um, is a lot different. So here in San Francisco, there's an uh, elected school board, superintendent, they make the decisions. There's also a union involved and negotiations have to happen uh, around personnel issues. So uh, it's more complicated versus what's happening in Chicago with uh, Mayor Lightfoot um, and, and what she's been able to do because as mayor, she's had uh, the ability to manage this and, and to work directly to push, uh, to move schools towards reopening. So I think it's very complicated and it's a very localized issue, but um, we have to continue to push. We have to continue to provide the guidelines. And luckily we're at a point here in San Francisco where we're, we're gonna move uh, into vaccinating educators uh, so that we can hopefully get the classrooms open sooner rather than later. So we have hit, an incredible milestone, a grim milestone, more than 500,000 Americans dead from the coronavirus. It was commemorated last night with a, a moment of silence at the White House by the president and vice president. But it appears just looking at the, the data, the number of cases, hospitalizations, um, the number of people passing away, the numbers are coming down. And your city, San Francisco, is experiencing a drop in COVID-related hospitalizations down 35% from two weeks ago. And I put that, that statistic out there because your city was one of the first to institute stay-at-home orders. And so I'm wondering, a year out, um, what lessons, what was the biggest lesson, lesson you learned um, over the last year of, uh, uh, in how to fight this pandemic. Uh, you said a few times that, um, uh, I can't remember which entity is super conservative, but by San Francisco being the first city to lock down, and now we're looking at a 35% drop in hospitalizations from two weeks ago. Um, talk about that. I know I have a question there and it's lost, yeah, well, but I'm just sort of like, with the numbers I, coming I, down I, and everything is fantastic. Well, I understand exactly what you're saying. It's it's like, you know, what are the lessons learned from uh, the decisions that we had to make early on? Right. Because back, I mean, we're talking about in two days, it'll be a year since we declared a state of, of emergency. And on February 25th in 2020, San Francisco declared a state of emergency and we didn't have one case yet. Uh, and we declared a state of emergency because we followed the science. We followed the data. We knew what was happening in other places. And it wasn't a matter of if it will happen in San Francisco. It was a matter of when. So we didn't completely understand it, how it was transmitted, how it would make it in, what would happen. But I knew that we had the kind of healthcare professionals, Dr. Grant Koufax, the director of the Department of Public Health, and a number of other uh, incredible uh, researchers and staff, uh, University of California, San Francisco, a lot of experts, they were all telling me the same things that we needed to get ready. And I didn't understand what get ready meant. I didn't think it would be a whole year before we would be reopening the city. But I knew that if we didn't act fast, then people could die. And that was enough to move forward. So I think more importantly, as, as, a, as a leader, who's responsible for people in a major city, 
you have to make hard decisions. And there were a lot of folks who were really angry that I declared a state of emergency because their businesses were already suffering, restaurants were suffering. Um, there were people who had sports uh, games that were scheduled, there were concerts, there were weddings, there were all these things. And can you imagine how hard it is to tell people they can't do something? Um, that was difficult. And then you're gonna shut a major city down, but at the end of the day, San Francisco, has not only one of the lowest death rates of any major city in the country, and we have one of the lowest infection rates of any major city in the country. We've saved thousands of lives because we sacrificed early. And so the lesson learned is you gotta listen to the, the experts. You gotta listen to the people who know how this stuff works and make good decisions for the people that you serve. And I'm really proud of what we did here in San Francisco because it was our quick action, and it was the fact that the people of San Francisco followed our health orders for the most part. That is the reason why San Francisco is in this place uh, uh, to begin with. Mayor Breed, what would you have said a year ago if you were told then that there would be more than a half million COVID-19 deaths in our country? I... I I think last year, I don't know if I thought we would be at a place like this because I really believe that most people and what you saw in this country, you saw mayors in particular all over the country who were basically left to make decisions on our own for our cities. You saw so many mayors uh, step up despite, in some cases, their governors who were not supportive of their actions and the decisions that they wanted to make to protect their residents. Um, you saw them rise to the occasion. And, and I think that um, there is no way, based on you know our reactions and what we try to do locally, that I thought we would ever get to that point. But I think um, had we had a more uh, responsible president we would probably not be uh, where we are today because the action would have been more so universal for the entire country. Um, so I think that's why uh, strong leadership on the federal, state, and local level is so critical because it really does show um, what happens during a crisis when you don't have it, um, lives could be lost. And, and it's really heartbreaking to think half a million uh, Americans died from COVID. Um, that's impacts not only the people that we lost, but their families, their friends who didn't, you know, just think about the people who died in nursing homes and how people could not even go and see their relatives in a nursing home for months and to lose them and not have that interaction. It's just heartbreaking uh, to think about where we are and, 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 and that's where we are today. But uh, I'm very hopeful that we have the right team in place to move us in the future and things are gonna change for the better. Mayor Breed, let's talk about something else that is big in the news uh, around the nation, but in particular uh, in San Francisco, and, and that is the, the rising number of, of attacks against Asian Americans in the Bay Area. How is your city, how are you responding to those attacks? Well, I will tell you, um, it is, it, it's been heartbreaking. And um, we have come together with different agencies, including our police department, and we have a group called the Street Violence Intervention Program. The Street Violence Intervention Program started years ago to react to gun violence that was happening mostly in the African-American community. These are members of the community who grew up in the community who may 
uh, have had, you know, a, a past where they made some mistakes but wanted to give back and to, to take care of the community and keep people safe. They help to keep trouble from happening as a result of gun violence, and they've been very effective. What we've done in San Francisco and what we're going to continue to do is expand the street violence intervention program uh, with a goal to have them help to police communities. Um, during the launch of Lunar New Year in San Francisco, the street violence intervention program and even me in my uh, casual clothes, we were out in Chinatown, we were talking to merchants, uh, we were making it clear to people that we are here to protect you, we are here to look out for the community. And part of it is bringing our African-American and our Asian communities together through the arts, through programming, through advocacy, and through support and uplifting one another. And I think, you know, making it clear um, that we are in this together and it's not ever okay to attack an elderly person, senior, uh, in this city, I don't care what the age is, is so critical. Um, and, and I gotta say, I appreciate our San Francisco Police Department because in those instances, they've made arrest almost immediately um, in, in many of those cases. And so I want people to understand if you violate or attack an elderly person in San Francisco, you will be held accountable for that crime. And what we want to do in the city is not only address that and, and, and focus on accountability, but we want to get to the systemic challenges that exist in some of these communities where these crimes um, happened in the first place. There is no way that any human being should ever feel that it is ever okay to put your hands on an elderly person for no reason whatsoever. So we got a lot of work to do in San Francisco. Uh, we're working within those communities. We're working with the Street Violence Intervention Program. We're working to connect with other organizations um, and taking responsibility for taking care of our seniors and the folks in our communities. Uh, a lot of bridge building is going on. I participated in a number of forums. It's gonna take us some time, but since Lunar New Year has kicked off, we've, we've, not, had, we've not seen any major incidents and I think uh, some of the messaging and some of the things that we're doing to work together are having an impact and we got to keep it up. Mayor Preed, what's driving this rise in attacks? You know, it, it's really hard to say, but I think that um, when this pandemic first uh, began last year, uh, or even in December, uh, you, you heard a lot of rhetoric um, from the White House um, really criticizing um, the Chinese community, and there were a number of incidents. Um, the discrimination and the xenophobia against our Asian community uh, since the beginning of this pandemic has been horrific. Uh, people stopped eating at Chinese food restaurants, they stopped shopping in Chinatown, uh, attacks and, and, and name calling and hate crimes were, were starting to, to rise up at that point. So I, I think that messaging um, help to to drive what we are seeing play itself out uh, or continue to play itself out today um, is very unfortunate. Um, but you know that means that we have to work just as hard uh, to reverse those impacts as we begin to reopen our cities and, and and come together in our various communities. You just mentioned a moment ago that you went to Chinatown and you talked to merchants. What exactly are you hearing? from the people in Chinatown? Well, I think that in most cases, they're, they're happy to see the mayor. <laughs> so they're just 
Um, they're just happy to see people and they're so grateful that, you know, we are trying to protect them. Um, and, and they did express concerns and, and closing early. And also they've expressed concerns about business uh, because their businesses are suffering. Uh, so it, just just concern about the future and whether or not they can hold on, um, about being able to take care of their families. Uh, it, it's just been really tough on them. But uh, fortunately, they, they have hope because during Lunar New Year, um, the year of the ox this year, they, they really have um, hope uh, for a better future, a brighter day, because uh, they see the city starting to reopen. Business is not returned um, in the way that they'd like it to, but some of the investments we made, um, providing resources to uh, both loans and grants to small businesses, as well as a, a pilot program to pay restaurants, to feed our seniors, uh, and to do a number of things have really helped, but we're gonna have, we got a long road ahead. So there's so much more we're gonna need to do. Well, hopefully given the statistics we were talking about earlier that we are, that San Francisco and we as a nation are turning a corner and getting a handle on, on the pandemic, but it makes me wonder um, what you think about, well, what parts of, of life and society in San Francisco might never be the same again or, or come back? Well, I will just say that there are some places all over San Francisco. I don't necessarily think that there's a particular neighborhood or group of businesses or group of things that'll never come back. I think that there are certain businesses that made the decision because of how difficult it was um, and they could probably no longer afford to remain open. Um, but I, I think that um, when we start to reopen, because when you think about it, people consider San Francisco, uh, especially as it relates to COVID, to be like one of the uh, places to visit uh, because they're not concerned necessarily about you know, you know, the, the impacts of COVID as we begin to reopen. Uh, once we're able to uh, get visitors and our conventions and our hotels, I mean, people will still be visiting Chinatown. People will still uh, be visiting different places around San Francisco. Our restaurants are some of the best restaurants in the world. Uh, so I still think that San Francisco is going to continue to be a destination for shopping, for uh, eating, for dining, for uh, um, all the beautiful views and, and, and the things that you can see here. I think it's going to come alive again, but we are uh, going to lose some businesses in the process, and that's already begun. Again, the statistics are trending in the in the positive direction, meaning we're getting seems to, seems that we're getting a handle on it. But you're an elected official; you have access to all sorts of information, and you also have a political gut. Does your gut tell you that we are turning the corner? My gut tells me we are turning the corner. Um, and I, I, I've got to say that I'm, I'm so proud of the people in this city. Uh, every now and then I'll see some people behaving badly, but uh, <laughs> for the most part, when I walk the streets, because I'm, I'm usually not recognizable because I just want to get out and get some fresh air and, and see what's going on. Um, I'm so happy. I see people with their mask on. I see them keeping their distance. It, it, it just, uh, and then when you walk down the street, people move so that they could give you space so that you guys aren't um, close to one another. Um, I just, I just really appreciate how people in San Francisco 
have just sucked it up and said, look, we're going to get through this and we're going to do our part. And that means a lot to me. And, 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 and because of that, uh, San Francisco is a good place. We're almost in red. We are almost at a point where we can reopen some things. I'm hoping to be able to make some announcements next week about some additional things that we can reopen. But we also want to keep people um, on alert to keep their mask on, to keep doing what they're doing, even as we begin the reopening process. Uh, so, so far, it's, it's starting to feel good. The weather is nice. People are feeling good about the city. So, <laughs> Uh, my fingers are crossed, and and I will tell you the one thing that I want people to understand is there is it will pain me, it will just really tear me up if I have to get on television and announce another shutdown, and and so I want people to keep that in mind because how we get to a place where we reopen our city is if we keep doing what we're doing in a responsible way. It's up to all of us. Uh, to continue to be a part of solution as much as we're tired of being in this situation, but but let's let's keep at it, San Franciscans. So why wait until next week to announce um, new uh, further reopenings? Tell us now. Well, I can't tell you now, Jonathan, um, but uh, it has everything to do with the state has to give us uh, the guidelines, and based on what we're seeing with the data. Um, it's looking good. So we're seeing the hospitalizations and the numbers, uh, the average uh, daily COVID cases start to decline. So it looks really good. It's not where, of course, we want it to be, but it's looking like we're trending um, in a place where we will hopefully be in the red next week. You, you want to give us a, a, an idea of an area of what sector might be reopening? Of course, um, I can give you a little bit. If we if we get to a point where we're in the red, things like indoor outdoor museums will be able to open. Um, our restaurants will be able to expand. Uh, facials, uh, because you have to do these services with nails and hair and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You have to do that with mask on. So uh, facials will be able to resume. Um, so. Some, some good news on the horizon. Uh, I'm really excited about it, uh, but we we have to make sure that the numbers continue the way they are and that the state puts us in the red. And as soon as they put us in the red, then everyone will know and they'll know what they'll be able to move towards. But it's, it's looking good. And just to be clear, because when I hear that something is in the red, that means they owe some money. But when it comes to the coronavirus <laughs> pandemic, is it, red is where on the scale of things in terms of well, closure? We're in the purple now. And okay. there was nothing after the purple, but we surpassed the purple. So we were in, I don't know, the super purple, whatever you want to call it, for <laughs> okay. some time. Because we were way beyond what anyone had anticipated, uh, which is why there was a lockdown. But then the numbers started to decline, and now we're in the purple. So the purple is the real, real top tier, but there's another mm -hmm. top tier that hasn't been color-coded. So, okay, so purple, so red, yellow, green. Oh, orange. Better than green. <laughs> Orange, but you know, it, it, okay. the good news is red is good in this case. It's not great, but it's good. And then with that, we're going to have to leave it there on a on a on an optimistic high note. Mayor London Breed, the 45th mayor of San Francisco, thank you so much for coming to Washington Post Live. Thank you, Jonathan. It was great being here with you. 
And thank you for tuning in. Join us tomorrow at noon Eastern when my colleague Paige Cunningham will interview Gregory Glenn, the president of research and development at Novavax. They're going to discuss progress they're making in vaccines against new coronavirus variants. You can always head to WashingtonPostLive.com to register and find more information about upcoming programs. Once again, I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Thank you for tuning in to Washington Post Live. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.